The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. I want to lead us in a bit of a reflection tonight um, on Scripture. And to get us started in that, I want to take us back to something that happened actually at the very beginning of the summer. It was the last day of kindergarten for my six-year-old son, Carson. So we're talking about, you know, around about the middle of June. And some of you sports fans in the house uh, may recall that there was this little event that the U.S. women's soccer team was playing in up north called the World Cup up in Canada. And some friends of mine had some extra tickets and said, hey, you know, would you want to, would you and Carson want to come up to Vancouver and watch the game? And so it was the last day of kindergarten, and understandably, Carson wanted to kind of be with his friends and do the, his, his last day in room one for as long as he could. So I waited until after lunch to go and pick him up, and his teacher, who's actually, who was actually Kelsey's mom, said, hey, you can, you get to take two things um, off the wall to take with you, and Carson selected the, the letters U and S to take to the game, which I thought was pretty pretty smart on his part. But this was like at 2 o'clock, and it was a 5 o'clock game, so we had to boogie. So we get started, and we're making our way quickly on northbound I-5. We get north of Linwood between Everett, and maybe we were making our way a little too quick because there was the all-too-familiar and, uh, well, you know what it means when those lights are twirling behind you, okay? It was, uh, as you can tell, it wasn't a new experience for me, but it was a new experience for Carson. So one of Washington State's finest, you know, walks up to the window, and it's always interesting to hear what they, what they say. And his first question to, to me was, you know, so why are you driving like that, <laughs> you know? And... I fought the impulse to say, like what, officer? You know, but uh, I I just said, you know, um, it's the last day of school. We've got tickets for the game. You know, uh, we were going a little bit, uh, I know that we were going a little bit too fast, and I had also made an illegal lane change, but that's probably beside the point. So he says, hey, license and registration. You know, I give him uh, in proof of insurance. Obviously, I got my license, but the registration I have is not current nor is the proof of insurance, okay? And, I, you know, it's one of these things where every, every piece of paper that was in the glove compartment is now strewn about the car. And Carson is, is back there going, Dad, are we going to jail? You know, and I'm like, no, I don't think we're going to jail. So at this point, I'm just, I'm just flogging myself going, I cannot believe this. I cannot believe, you know, I can believe I got pulled over, but what was harder is the fact that, that it felt so irresponsible, right? A, that I was driving like I was with my beloved son in the backseat. But then to have, to be missing some of the basics, it just made me feel, in the words of, a, of a, an intern that we had a couple years ago, it just made me feel like a massive tool, okay? I can't believe that I did this. Well, this is an anecdote for what, uh, for those of you that were here last week um, may have heard, this is an anecdote for a sin problem, OK? 
Okay, the things I do not want to do, I do. Here I am standing before you, a pastor, <laughs> somebody, at the very least, somebody who, very, who takes very seriously this idea of following Jesus. And yet I still struggle with pride. I still struggle with being selfish. I still have thoughts that are lustful, not, not merely in the sexual sense, but in the, in the power sense, in the greed sense. I still find myself uh, finding creative ways to tell the truth, meaning that I'm not totally direct and, wow, I'll try and find that way where I'm still telling the truth, but I actually know I'm kind of misleading. I still do that. The things I do not want to do, I do. I still take for granted the people and things that matter most to me. Why do I do that? It's a sin problem. And I know that I continue to have that sin problem even as I stand in front of you now. But I also stand in front of you right now assured that there is something bigger than my problem. There is someone that will help me. And that's what I want to talk to, talk about tonight as we get ready to uh, spend a year together. I hope a year. I hope that you all be here through June. Um, as we explore what it means to believe, to really believe that Jesus Christ is the good news. Now, over starting tonight and over the, the next two weeks, the next two weeks that follow, we're going to hone in on one chapter of the Bible. Just one chapter. Now, to be fair, it's a chapter that some biblical scholars have called the center of the New Testament. And I think it's an argument that can, that can be made. But perhaps I'm biased because it was this passage, Romans 8, that ultimately convinced me that Jesus was a basket that could hold all of my proverbial eggs. I'm excited to share more about this with you, but let me pray as we get started for that. God, would you, would you somehow use, once again, use these words in Romans 8 to bring us closer to you, to help us know you a little more, to help assure us of your love and your grace that is also for us. Do that as we gather tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we get ready to read this, I think it might help to keep in mind that Paul is talking to the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote this, is talking to a very diverse audience. In some ways, they were all new Christians. At this time, there wouldn't be anybody listening to, to this that would have started their testimony by saying, I grew up in a Christian family. At best, they were all new converts that had come from a, a multitude of different backgrounds, uh, ethnically and religiously. So keep that in mind uh, as, as we read uh, these passages. Okay, This is Romans 8, beginning at the first verse. It says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, If I'm to be straight up with you really quick, you could spend the entire academic year of 2015-2016 meditating on this one verse, and it would be good for you. I promise you. This is the gospel right here. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free 
from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of of sinful humanity to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in human flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Now, there's a whole bunch more to read right here that we've even put up, but I want to stop right there, at least for right now. Let's jump in on a few things here. Now, I understand, as I've met with many of you over the years, that sometimes some of these these words and phrases in Scripture can can make the Bible difficult to read, can be, um, I don't know, a bit confusing. Let's uh, So let's take on a few of these things briefly. First, no condemnation. No condemnation. This is a legal word. Now, to be condemned would be to be punished for something that you are guilty of. So in essence, Paul is saying there's no punishment, there's no sentence for you, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, when I was a kid, I would be condemned to what my mom would call restriction. Okay, I think it's more popularly referred to as, as like being grounded. You know, that time when you didn't come home on time and you lose particular privileges, like, you know, going out and, I mean, this is when I was a smart kid, like going out and playing football or getting to go play video games at Ryan Abernathy's house or something like that, okay? <laughs> you are condemned really to your room, to a type of, of restriction. So Paul is in essence saying that though you struggle with sin, which he acknowledged in chapter 7 and really since chapter 5, the three, the three previous chapters, that there is no sentence. There's no restriction for you. You are free. Okay, it might sound, it might sound too good to be true, which is why we're going to continue. Verse 2 can be a mouthful of words that's easy to miss the meaning, at least it is for me, because through Jesus Christ, the spirit of the law set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, the message, I think, is really helpful in paraphrasing this by saying a new power is in operation, a power that is greater than sin. Now, the old way of thinking would be a way that that says that which is most powerful is that which is able to take something away from me. Okay, that which is most powerful is able to take something away from me, able to take in this case, my freedom away. Now, this new power that's in operation, I think is trying to say, look, whatever can be taken away from you, this, what the Apostle Paul calls the spirit of life, can actually give you something even greater. Do you see the difference there? What sin does is take away. What the spirit of life does what Jesus does, what the Holy Spirit does, okay, you could use really all those things interchangeably, is give you something and primarily give you life. This new power gives you something better than whatever the old power wants to take away from you. There's a style of parenting out there called positive discipline. You try to keep things in the positive. And I'm trying to do a better job at this. But we had an incident a couple of days ago where 
I mean, I suppose most of parenting happens in things like this, where I have a three-year-old, and I've told you about the six-year-old, and we, we just got back from a, a trip, and, and we didn't have any food in the house, so we are just going to order pizza. Well, the boys could not agree on what kind of pizza they wanted. And the, the three-year-old can always be a little bit of an antagonist, so it wasn't totally shocking. So, you know, I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to, trying to figure out how I can, I can get the boys on board. So I said, okay, Colin, we ordered you your very own cheese pizza. Okay? Now, now he's fired up because he's, he's getting what he wants, right? Well, then I say, you know, Carson's like, hey, wait, no fair. And I said, well, Carson, and Carson loves barbecue chicken pizza. I said, we're getting, we're getting a giant barbecue chicken pizza that mom and dad are going to help you eat. And he was like, sweet, I'm on board. Okay? So what did, I, what did I try and do there, kind of drawing from the power that gives? I tried to say, here is what you will be getting, as opposed to, to trying to convince them of what they, what they would be deprived of or what they wouldn't be deprived of. I was trying to make a bigger deal about here's what you would get. And in some ways, though much more powerful than a pizza, I want to say that the spirit of life is doing the same thing. It's saying, you are getting something far greater. Then there is this phrase, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in sinful man. Now, I know that one of the places where I can sometimes get hung up is when I hear these really religious-sounding phrases like sin offering. Okay, what is, what is being talked about right here? I think this is, this is important enough and profound enough um, to stop and talk about it very briefly. Now, keep in mind, Paul is talking to all sorts of different people with all sorts of different backgrounds. Often we hear these people talked about in two groups in the Old Testament. There's, there's those who have a Jewish background, the Jews, and then there are the Gentiles, which is essentially everybody else. Now, when Paul is talking about sin offering. He's talking about something that comes out of, out of the, of a Jewish tradition, out of the laws of Israel, specifically Leviticus 5. Now, animal sacrifice was very common, not only in Jewish tradition, but actually in, in a number of religions throughout the ancient Near East, throughout the, the Roman world, okay? The, the world that Rome now had conquered and, and occupied. And a sin offering would have done this, especially to Jewish ears, but it was common enough that people would know that when Paul is talking about this, a sin offering would be brought um, several times throughout a year to a priest. And they would, they would put a, an animal on an altar and they would sacrifice this altar. That's why perhaps some of you grew up in churches that have a big box, a big altar in, at the front of their sanctuary. It's because in that tradition, the altar, the sacrifice, was actually kind of the center, the beginning of worship. But here's, here's what I want you to catch. As this animal was being sacrificed, and as the priest would do this, it wasn't just for one person. You see, the priest would do this on behalf of the entire community. 
So when Paul is, is writing to a group of new Christians saying, what we have here is essentially the sin offering to end all sin offerings, what they are hearing is that this, if, if Jesus did that, if this sin offering has been offered, they know it is for the entire community. That means that this promise of there is no condemnation is also for me. Isn't that a phrase that we tend to skip over? But it's one of the reasons that I can stand before you right now, not knowing your background, but that, that because of this idea that one person can do it for the whole community, it gives me assurance that I can stand in front of you and tell you that this gospel of Jesus Christ, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, is also for you. It was done by one person, a priest and a sacrifice for the entire community. It's also for you. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this different power? First is this, and it takes us back to that first phrase, remember. Remember. Remember that God promises to give you something better than sin. You know, we all struggle with knowing that there are some things that we have done that we're not proud of. Maybe there are some things that have been done to us that are sinful, if not evil. And yet there is this guarantee. There is no condemnation. There is something bigger. There is something better for you. Paul, in saying, therefore, there is no condemnation, I believe he simply is trying to remind the people, this is good news. This is a good promise. He wants the people to remember that. I know that as I get older, it gets easier and easier for me to forget. Uh, One of the time-tested tricks to remembering uh, that idea or whatever it may be that suddenly eludes you, you know, tracking down your car keys, is that you go back to where you were in order to remember so that you might connect that idea or find those keys that had lost and then, of course, be able to move on to whatever it is that you were thinking or where you want to go. What do you do to remember? What will you do to remember that there is no condemnation? Maybe it's a friend that is going to tell you the truth and remind you that you're loved and forgiven. Maybe it's a place. And I even hesitate to share this because, you know, here I am, a pastor. This is going to make me sound like the ultimate religious stud or zero, as it may be. But honestly, one of the places that reminds me of this wonderful truth of no condemnation is a place right down the stairs here. It's the sanctuary right here at University Presbyterian Church. That right in front of that that building is where I stood when I got married. Uh, It's there where, where my three sons have been baptized. It's in this room where I have sung alongside people that I love and people that irritate me. 
both when I felt like it and when I didn't. And honestly, it's the place that I heard this word spoken for the first time. It's the first place that I heard the book of Romans preached. Okay, now, what I want you to to hear is this. The Spirit isn't any more present or real in that sanctuary than it is in your fraternity, in your sorority, in your house, in your workplace, in your classroom. It's not any more real or any more present there. It's simply that that space reminds me of this great truth. What will you find that reminds you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? The first invitation of this text is to remember. Now, of course, if the first thing is to remember, the second, of course, would be to believe. Sometimes our stuckness feels more real than our hope, right? Our past seems more powerful than our future. We have that baggage that we alluded to earlier. Those things ranging from simple embarrassments to decisions that we've made that somehow we feel like we can never really shake off. We look at our lives and all we see is the crap. My colleague Janie, who you're going to get to hear next week, talks about uh, towing around your, cl- your crap closet. Okay? We get obsessed with the things in our crap closet and adding to it. This past week, uh, I, along with the staff, was over in Lake Chelan. Anybody here from central Washington or north central Washington, eastern Washington? Okay, Jeff, Jeff's from over that direction. Well, as many of you know, if you've been paying attention to, uh, to Twitter, watching the news, however you, you find your stuff, you'll know that this year has been the biggest uh, year of wildfires in the history of the state. Almost a million acres have been burned um, over the, the, fire, the fires across the state. And of course, Chelan is one of the places that has been hit. And it is the, the, at the place that the staff and I stayed last week, there was this striking view across the lake of this hillside that had been scorched by one of these wildfires. And as I continued to look at this throughout the week that we were there and noticed that, that incredible contrast, noticed that there is part of this hill that seems to be lifeless. It's charred. It's damaged. And yet, though that's its state now, and it's a real state, Life will win that hill. Life will win that hill again. And in fact, the, hill, the, the side of the hill in the foreground and kind of to the right there that you see, actually about 20 years ago, burned just as bad as the rest of it did. And of course, it has come back to life. Now, how often do we look at ourselves, perhaps we even look at others, and all we're tempted to see is that which is burned that which is charred, that which, as we look at it, seems to bear no fruit, that which we look at and says, you know, it just seems kind of worthless or disappointing. And the promise of this text 
is to believe that even in that moment, life will win. (laughs) There is no condemnation. So to remember and to believe. And finally, don't hesitate. Don't hesitate to live as one who is not on restriction. Don't hesitate to live into that freedom. And also, don't hesitate to tell others about it. What good news this is, that there is no condemnation, that there is, in fact, a given freedom for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, last June, when I got pulled over, the officer comes back to the car. And he's got his little clipboard. And I'm going, how big is this number? And he says, well, Mr. Church, I got you uh, for going 20 over, for making a lane change without a blinker, for not having a current registration, for not having uh, proof of insurance. And I'm just going to give you a warning. Slow down. Have fun at the game. Of course, you have to sign the warning. And I'm stunned. And I found myself, as we made our way back into traffic and made our way uh, up to Canada in time for the game, um, I found myself continuing to kind of beat myself up for everything. And yet, the invitation in that moment was, go and have fun. The warning was given to me in such a way that says, you know what, get this done so that you don't have to worry about it. Life will be a little bit more enjoyable that way. (laughs) Slow down. Use your blinker. Get proof of registration. Get proof of insurance. And go have fun. Don't hesitate to live into the freedom that you have been given. Because Jesus Christ voluntarily laid down his life to give you that freedom. The way that you honor Jesus is not to reject it, but to say thank you and to just live into that freedom. It's a gift he died to give you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for you. You are free. Remember, believe, and don't hesitate. Let's pray. God, help us to help us to, to live into the joy of this freedom that you died to give us. We thank you for your word that reminds us of this over and over again. Help us to be people eager not only to live into this, but to share it with others as well. For your goodness to us, God, we are thankful. We are thankful in Jesus' name, amen.